Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance, and for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning and welcome to Zero Today. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation. We are here to promote a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And as always, we invite you to join us. We invite, uh, as our obligation, our responsibility to empower you, our listeners. Knowing, being, doing, and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Several ways you can do it. If you want to get your thoughts live on the air, commentary, dialogue, monologue, whatever it may be, uh, you can dial in the number 347-237-5230. That's the primary way. Uh, if you're just listening in but you want to share your thoughts, you know, the chat room is open. Simply go to our uh, blog talk site. And log in on the chat room there, and you can get that. Um, or follow us on Facebook, on our Facebook page, Zero Network. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at, at Prophesy. Send me an email at PastorLorenzoNeal at gmail.com. We're everywhere. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, tune in however you want to tune in. We are thankful that you are here. We're glad this is uh, Black History Month. And um, we're going to be doing some things, of course, during this month to recognize our heritage. And I'm excited about that. But before we go any further, uh, I'm going to pray. And then I I want to uh, extend my thanks to you for for your thoughts and prayers. Let's pray real quick. God of our weary years, God of our silent tears, that was brought us this far along the way. We thank you for another opportunity be able to do the broadcast this morning. We thank you for another day that you've made. Now, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable to you and your people. Is our prayer in the name of Christ. We pray. Amen. I want to say thank you uh, 
we've been off the air a couple of weeks. Um, had death in my family, and uh, it was really, really hard. My my aunt passed away. My mother's sister, my grandparents' second child, uh, passed away. It was a very difficult time. If you're not aware, you know this is uh, uh, anniversaries of deaths in my family. Uh, uh, this year marks the 35th anniversary of my mother's death. Marks the fifth anniversary of my brother's death. And uh, of course, with my aunt's death, those things came in in tow. So I really wasn't really wasn't uh, able to really. Uh, focus on the show, so but we are we're gonna be making up as we uh as we go through this day, and I just want to express my appreciation to you, uh, those of you listeners who uh, send your thoughts and prayers by way of email, um, and all of that. I just want to say thank you, thank you very much. We uh it is Black History Month and because it is Black History Month we want to share this with you. Um this is a clip um from Marian Anderson. Uh if not familiar with Marian Anderson, one of the most one of the premier vocalists, singers, performers of the twentieth century. Um she broke barriers racially. And this performance she did, 1939, April 1939, in front of the steps, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, here, she performed here because uh, she initially was supposed to perform at Constitutional Hall, but was denied to perform there because of her race. She was black, and the daughters of the American Revolution uh, thought it, thought she not worthy. Even though she was a world-class performer, had traveled across the world, was one of the more recognized American singers, not just black, but American singers in the opera style. A beautiful uh, contralto voice. Uh, and she, um, a soprano, uh, really was a soprano, but a song called a uh, contralto. Anyway, so here she is singing and being introduced and singing in front of the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. And she's singing in my country. Genius. Genius draws no color line. And so it is fitting that Marian Anderson should raise her voice in tribute to the noble Lincoln whom mankind will ever honor. Miss Marian Anderson... Oh, 
Again, that was Marian Anderson, uh, famed singer, vocalist, and activist, um, performing in front of the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. Now, uh, again, she she, she had to do that uh, because she was denied based on her color. And then First Lady uh, Eleanor Roosevelt lobbied with both her husband, the president, Theodore, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and the interior, uh, Secretary of Interior at the time, um, I think his name, Rickles or something like that, can't remember. But she lobbied both of them to have her perform in the Constitutional Hall. And they did a one better. They allowed her to perform in, um, in, in front of the Lincoln Memorial. Now, she went on to highlight several concerts at Carnegie, of course, and other places, and was a dear friend of, uh, uh, as was uh, so many other black women, um, friends of Eleanor Roosevelt, who fought hard and was a very good uh, advocate for social justice and uh, the plight of the American black Americans. So I just thought I'd share this snippet of black history with you. I have another uh, clip that I'll play next week, the Lord willing, with Paul Robeson. And uh, Paul Robeson is wonderful. And again, another acclaimed singer, actor, and activist that has been forgotten, uh, who has been lost to time. And you have maybe have a couple of sentences mentioned about him in uh, black history books or whatever. But Paul Robeson was very, very instrumental. Now, so I'm going to be focusing on music. Uh, I'm going to be doing clips from Nina Simone and, and um, others. Probably, if I can find some things, uh, 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 the Baker, Lake, uh, Josephine Baker, who is also an activist. Uh, these these uh, these persons got lost to history. Josephine Baker, she, you know, of course, they had a movie about her, and others, Dorothy Dandridge, others in the arts. Um, I may not even get to all of them, but just wanted to share some of that with you. I think it's phenomenal what they went through to be successful. And now, uh, kids nowadays don't appreciate uh, what they had to do with it. I think about, and I know I'm a little on the side and tangent here, but just 40 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, uh, most black performers couldn't walk through the front door of the venues that they were performing at. Isn't that crazy? Uh, most of them were on the Chitlin Circuit, the places, the you know, the 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 little that was a that was a that was a you know path, a route most black entertainers took in the South, and that was guaranteed gainful employment and recognition till. Uh, some of them broke out of that and became mainstream, like Little Richard and um, so many of Chuck Berry and so many others. But for a long time, uh, they were not even able to enter the front door of their own performances. It's crazy. They had to stay in hotels that were uh, owned by blacks because they couldn't stay in the major hotel chains. So it's amazing where we've come. And it's amazing how... Millions of dollars are made by uh, little talented people. <laughs> and, and on that same note, I just 
came across an article, uh, Kurt Franklin on his blog, wrote on his blog not long ago, uh, after the death of Andre Crouch, he attended the funeral and spoke with and performed along with so many other gospel artists. But uh, he reflected on gospel music, and he said that the gospel music of today is not up to the par on the level or even close to the level of the gospel music of Andre Crouch's time, the, the time of Andre Crouch, the Clark Sisters, Rance Allen, uh, the Widens, uh, and of course, uh, excuse me, many, many others that, um, you know, the caravans, those guys didn't get wealthy. They traveled and, you know, they were glad to be at a church sometimes. <laughs> uh, but then you had Andre Crouch who broke out of that and was performing at venues that only many uh, gospel artists could only dream of. And now you today, you know, you have uh, big record labels like EMI signing gospel artists um, to million-dollar contracts. And not just million-dollar contracts, but promoting them to tours that are bringing in millions. Because here's the reality. The, uh, gospel music sales really aren't that high. It really, They really aren't. Uh, you know, the gospel music industry is not really as, as, as thriving as it is. You know, the artists, uh, sometimes these are, you know, hand to mouth, I guess you could say. So they have to do a lot of, they make a lot of money from touring, uh, these appearances that they do, and things like that. So, uh, but every now and then you find someone, you find a breakout artist like Smokey Norfolk, my good friend, um, who, who makes it. And, you know, you have the other ones like Diedrich Haddon, who makes it. But uh, most of them, I remember, you know, if you got local radio play, then you were a gospel artist and putting on your national recording artist. <laughs> uh, anyway, but I, I, I have to, you know, it's amazing Kirk Franklin spoke on that and because uh, he is one of the ones who opened the door for what we now see in the gospel music industry, you know, the sampling of secular music, the incorporating, uh, discorporating of God in language, in lyrics, um, you know, the, the hip-hop infused dance and whatever, you know, he's kind of responsible for that because in the 90s he became huge with a song, Silver and Gold, that only mentioned Jesus in the court. I'd rather have Jesus than Silver and Gold. That's it. Didn't offer anything else. <laughs> and then Stomp. Didn't mention, I, you know, I don't think it mentioned God at all, but, uh, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But I digress. So um, it is what it is when it comes to gospel music, when it comes to our black heritage. That is a part of our heritage, the gospel music. And we, uh, we, ha we have to ascribe that to the person who has been credited as the founder of gospel music, uh, Tommy Dorsey. Uh, and uh, in the 30s, when he was a blues musician and converted, got converted and and wrote some great pieces, uh, probably some of the greatest pieces that we sing in the church. Well, you know, uh, he 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 did it, and uh, I wonder what he'd be thinking about the gospel music industry now. He's been dead. 
for a little over 20 years, I believe, give or take. I think, what, he died in 93 or somewhere in the 90s. Maybe later. I, I don't know. Um, but I wonder what we think about it now. Anyway, we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about the black church and basically uh, being black in 2015. Do we need a, a new spiritual identity and formation? And I'm going to tell you why I'm talking about I, we're going to be talking about this because uh, I've been hearing so much. A negativity regarding the church, and I get into that. I don't want to jump ahead myself, but um, I wanted to address that because I, I thought I think it'd be a very interesting dialogue, question for something for us to ponder, and we'll get into that discussion later on. Um, I hope you're ready. Fasten your seatbelts. This is going to be another great, another great encounter, another great show, and I hope you're ready for it because I am. So uh, we're going to come back after this break and jump into our topic. Is there a need for new spiritual identity and formation in, in black? Because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. This is the Quicksilver Cashback Card from Capital One. It's not the limit to cash I earn every month card. It's not the I only earn decent rewards at the gas station card. It's the no games, no signing up, everyday rewarding, kung fu fighting, silver lightning in a bottle, bringing home the bacon cashback card. This is the Quicksilver Card from Capital One. Unlimited 1.5% cashback on every purchase, everywhere, every single day. So ask yourself, what's in your wallet? Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage. Like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend. Lifeline. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. It's our favorite, yours and mine, because we found it together on a walk, 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 love to walk, a long walk, a walk with you, a walk I smelled squirrels on, 
but I stayed by your side because I could tell, could feel that you had a bad day and me being bad wouldn't make it any better. But being there was already helping a little anyway. And then we found that wonderful thing waiting there, waiting for you and me. And you smiled and threw it. And I decided right when I picked it up, I would never, ever leave it anywhere, ever. Because that wonderful, bouncy, roll-around thing had made you play. And that had made you smile. Put more play in your day. Beneful. Play. It's good for you. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Zero today again. I'm your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Uh, as I was uh, as I was perusing through this uh, through some my you know social media, Facebook, I, I came across a story, and I had intended to do about talk about this before the break, but I'm going to talk about it now. But I came about across a story that was very, very, very disturbing and upsetting. And if you haven't read, um, I posted it to my personal page. Facebook page, so you can go there, but it's the story of a pastor, his wife, and his five-year-old son found beat to death in a home apartment in Houston, Texas. Uh, city of Houston, of course, and many others are outraged because the pastor is a victim and his wife and his ch- his five-year-old son are victims of uh, a meaningless crime. Uh, Reverend Israel uh I way or something like that, but he was from Uganda. Uh he was a chaplain at the University of Houston as well as a pastor of uh, of a church that he had founded. Uh I can't think of the name of the church. Uh Church of the Redeemer there in Houston. And um he had two other adult children. One is in boarding school and one is in the Marines. And this pastor Highly educated, Harvard Divinity School, Ph.D., pastor, chaplain, servant, found dead. And this, you know, it disturbs me that, of course, you know, they're going to be working hard to find find out who did this. But according to the reports of his members, the family, and friends, co-workers, he was a quiet man who loved people, loved his work, and to... Um, to have this happen is a very, very, very sad, sad day in uh, the word of Christ, the, the body of Christ. Uh, and you know, several months back, we've had we had the report of the pastor being killed, uh, shot in Memphis, and another pastor. You know, just the fact that this is happening, uh, churches are being broken into, uh, uh, people are being. Uh, 
uh, assaulted on church grounds. And that's just, you know, it's it's just, it's very disturbing. Very, very disturbing. And we'll be praying for his sons who are surviving and his members, his family and friends. It's just a very, very devastating tragedy that happened. And uh, I pray that they, I do hope they catch the persons who did that. I, I, I hope there was uh, no other ill or malcontent on the pastor's behalf. I'm, I, I hope very much that it's not the case. But just the fact that someone would kill the pastor, his wife and child, says this person had very little respect for life. And I don't know what it was. But I just shared that. Um, and, of course, you know, we, we're hearing other stories that are not being reported. Uh, it's just sad. It's just sad. So I didn't mean to depress you with that news, but I just thought I had to share that. Um, and if you need him, if you want to read more about it, you can go to um, uh, allchristiannews.com, and the story is there. Also, I have a link on my personal Facebook page, Lorenzo Neal. You can go there and uh, read more about it also. So much going on in the body of Christ, and we just have to be proud. Uh, having said that, I'm going to go ahead and get into today's topic. Uh, uh, today's topic is, excuse me, because I, I just reflecting on the story still kind of keeps gets me. I just can't imagine who would do something like that. But anyway. So let's, let's, let me set you up for today's story. 1961, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Sr., Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, the Reverend Dr. Um, um, Gardner C. Taylor, and others were making a protest during the National Baptist Convention USA, uh, their national convention. They wanted to incorporate the, that group of people, get them involved into the civil rights movement. And, of course, the leadership at the time, the Reverend Jackson, uh, I, uh, I think that's what his name, James Jackson, I can't can't think of it. I may be mistaken, but uh, Jimmy Jackson or Johnson or something like that. Uh, either way, he was, at the time, the president of the convention, and, of course, he was more concerned more concerned about um, about keeping position than empowering his people, uh, and because of that, they decided to uh, protest, and they decided to pull out of the convention. They pulled out of the convention in 1961, and they had uh, uh, for their opponent uh, Joseph F. Joseph Jackson, that was the name. Yeah, Joseph Jackson. I knew it was close. Uh, Gardner C. Taylor was pitted in the, the election for president against Joseph Jackson. And, of course, it, that the election turned out to be very tragic. One person, one preacher lost his life. Uh, Gardner, uh, along with the Kings and others, pulled out. And they started a new Baptist movement that has become known as the Progressive Baptist, uh, Progressive National Baptist Convention. And it it came about because they saw the need for change because of because of uh, 
spiritual formation as well as the the undercurrent of racial prejudice, discrimination, and the need for civil rights for black Americans. And so they pulled out of that that the schism formed that new denomination. And uh, of course Martin Luther King Jr. went on to be a successful Garden Six Taylor has gone on to be very successful in uh God rest his uh well I don't think he's dead yet. But uh they had very successful ministries. Uh of course the junior, Martin Luther King Junior was killed. Martin Luther King uh senior died in the late eighties mid eighties, somewhere in there I believe eighty four, eighty three, eighty four, because I remember watching the watching uh, watching the funeral. Uh and so we are here. Let's fast forward um, over 50 years later. Here we are in a new dimension of black spirituality. And I think there's a new rift happening. And this is just me. I believe there's a new rift happening. And the new rift, the root, the new rift that's happening in black Christianity, black church religious experience, is that you have a group of people who are on an authentic quest for meaning. They are on an authentic quest for spirituality, meaningful spirituality, not the religious mumbo-jumbo that they get Sunday after Sunday. And they are tired of seeing church folk be the worst folk. What do you mean by that? Well, I've been, you know, it's sad recently, particularly in the last three weeks or so, I've had more pastors post about how much, how much they see, how, how hateful they see some Christians are, black church folk. How how mean they are, not just toward the pastor, but toward others. I've been watch, I've been following some of these prominent pastors, some uh, pastors large large churches being attacked for just being themselves, being human. And I'm not talking about I'm not talking about you know sin and stuff, you know falling from grace. I'm talking about just being human and trying to enjoy life, being attacked. By other church members, and uh, one one thing that really really inspired me to talk about this is uh, one of my then mentors, uh, Pastor Richard Bullock, and uh, I I I didn't tag him in this, but I'm gonna mention him. Uh, Pastor Richard Bullock has resigned from his church that he he founded uh, 29 30 years ago to get on. Uh, who he's begun a spiritual journey that has kind of taken him outside of the constraints of church tradition and, and moved him more toward a Gnostic um, Christian mystical experience. And and you you'd be surprised how many pastors, how many pastors, including myself, are are trying to break free. Uh, of the 
the constraints of the church. And part of it is, you know, the more educated you become, you know, some some people when they get educated become an educated fool, but then there's others who become educated and become enlightened and liberated. I'm finding that the more pastors and preachers become educated, and I'm not talking about as far as going to seminary or anything like that, but just educated regarding the the reality of Christ, the anointed one, the reality of Jesus of Nazareth teachings, and the reality of some of the myths, some of the fallacies, and some of the outright lies of the church that we have been propagating for centuries. You become enlightened. And a lot of these new young millennials, those who are 25 and younger, they are actively challenging the church. And they're not challenging the church regarding doctrine. Most of them don't really care about doctrine. We have a catechism in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, just like in Catholicism and the other Anglican and Episcopal traditions. We have a catechism, which is what you should know about the church. And when I was a kid, um, I didn't know, but my Baptist church, we had a catechism. We studied what we believe, uh, the articles, uh, uh, things of that nature, you know, as a Baptist, what you're supposed to believe, and in, in the church, in the Methodist church, you know, the 25 articles of religion. But along with that is the catechism. And once you completed the catechism, you were confirmed. And uh, we don't do confirmations as much in the Methodist tradition, uh, but it, it was a strong part of the tradition. But these young people are not concerned about the catechism as much as they are concerned about a person authentically living out what they believe. And they're sick and tired of seeing hypocrites. They're sick and tired of seeing preachers say one thing and do another. They're sick and tired of seeing laypersons say one thing and do another. And they're sick and tired of the church being inactive regarding social issues, uh, quiet on certain things, or promoting, pro- promoting one thing over another. You know, there, there are some people who are, you know, I, with, with, for example, for some social issues like abortion, same-sex marriage, these guys, the younger people are, you know, they are more tolerant, so they understand that the marriage issue, same-sex marriage issue, really isn't one about homosexuality as much as it is about the equal rights, <laughs> you know, they understand that argument. They don't want to hear the religious argument of, uh, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah or what Paul wrote in Romans and all of this. They don't want to hear that. They know that, but they don't want to hear that. They're, they are only concerned with equality. Now, as church folk, we understand, the older church folk, we do understand we have to write, uh, undergird an argument with Scripture. Might not always be the right Scripture, <laughs> but they're going to have Scripture. They're going to quote it. May not quote it in context, <laughs> but they go quote it because they go want you to know it's in the Bible. The Bible says, when the Bible says this, then the Bible got to be right. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's not always the case. But so, so 
the challenge, the new schism that is happening is that there there are people in the church who are authentically looking for a, a spiritual identity, for a way of having a true spiritual formation without disconnecting from the church. They don't want to disconnect from the church. They want to stay within the the operations of the church. They like the idea of, uh, as Paul, uh, the author of Hebrew writes, not forsaking the assembling of themselves together. They like that idea. What they don't like is all the other stuff added on to it, the politics, you know, the cliques, the, uh, the bashing, you know, whatever it may be uh, some preachers do, the lambasting some preachers do, and the overwhelming sense of, uh, how can I put this, what some preachers have. Some preachers have an overwhelming sense of, I'm looking for this, the right word to say, and it's eluding me. Uh, boy, 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 boy. Anyway, they just expect to be catered to. You know, some people, some some preachers think that, uh, some people think, some preachers think that they ought to be catered to. It's it's their congregation's responsibility to cater to them. You know, they shouldn't have to work. They shouldn't have to drive a used car. They should be driving a new car. They shouldn't have to live in a 2,000-square-foot house. They should live in a 6,000-square-foot house or 10,000-square-foot house. You know, get what I'm saying? And it's this type of thing that is creating the new rift in the black church. And honestly, the black church hasn't seen this type of stretch, this type of rift in the last two decades or so. I say the last two decades because the last the last major rift, uh, a schism, or, or I won't say schism, uh, the last major shift, I'll use that word, in the black church came with uh, when Bishop Paul Morton in 1992 uh, declared full gospel Baptist, you know, and began incorporating uh, elements of Pentecostal and charismatic churches. Uh, worship style into his church with the speaking in tongues and ordination of women and ministry and uh, all of that and most of all establishing an ecclesiastical form of of, of oversight not necessarily government because they're still uh, even though they're full gospel baptists they have bishops and all of this thing uh, the churches themselves are still congregational so the bishops have no real authority it's mostly titular, and then it, you know, it's mostly title. That's about it. But that was the last major uh, shift when Paul Morton declared that, and of course now the full gospel Baptists have been have, have been growing tremendously, and and what makes it help help you know is that they are also allowed to be dually aligned. But anyway, and now we're even seeing uh, younger preachers shift from that. They're shifting away from identifying with any type of denomination, you know, not just being non-denominational, but they're shifting away from that. They're they're creating their own identity, not their religion, just their own 
identity within the church. And it's not fitting within the, the schematic of traditional church. It's not fitting within the idea of what a traditional church should look like. Uh, last year, uh, we saw the launch of a hip-hop church in, uh, just outside Charlotte, I believe, in North Carolina, somewhere in there. And this church specifically targets the millennial audience, specifically addressing it in contemporary format, dress down, jeans, whatever, you know, and all of this stuff. And the messages are tech-savvy. You know, the more these young people, these young preachers uh, are engaged in technology, they are do, they're using that and incorporating that, you know, into their ministry. Um, I went to a church I was visiting, and I just I was I just loved how they incorporated technology into their worship service. I, I really loved it. Now we do the same, you know. We at my church, New Bethel, we're we're incorporating it. You know, we got the we have the projector and put it up there so people can see the words, the song, and thank God I plan enough so they can see you know things like with the message. And all of that stuff. So it, it's really it takes a lot of preparation. And I gotta admire. I, like I said, I visited the uh, church and the pastor. Not only did he have, not only was his message on point, but it also flowed seamless. It was integrated seemingly, seamlessly with the technology. So you followed him. You could see where he was going. You know, and and, and I, I I applaud pastors that do that. Plow pastors who incorporate technology. I, you know, at my church, we had <laughs> we had a hard time convincing some of the older members why we needed certain certain things. You know, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need this funded because this is going to help. And when we begin to project uh, the service, you know, incorporate the projector and screen into the service. I had more older adults say, yes, this is good. I can ask, you know, we're still holding these hymn books. And, you know, now <laughs> you got to go to a, a black Methodist church. You go to any black Methodist church, you're going to see it the same way. We'll sing, if it has four stanzas, we'll sing the first three, four stanzas. We'll sing all the stanzas. Even if we know the song by heart, been singing it for generations. We're going to hold that hymn book in our hand, not clap. If especially if it's a lively song, we're not gonna clap. <laughs> and then uh, when we get to the last chorus, we put the we close the hymnals and then we sing it like we just know it all. Oh, I was like, come on, man. But anyway, I digress. That's just me. <laughs> but anyway, once we incorporated that into the service, uh, those who were older began to appreciate it. They understood why we were saying we needed this. They understood it. They appreciated it. And the Sundays that we didn't have it, you know, we weren't prepared and we didn't have it. They were like, well, what happened? You know, they were getting upset, Pastor, Pastor uh, what happened? You you know, I had to apologize. I said, well, you know, we weren't just, just weren't prepared like we wanted to or someone, you know, something happened. I even tried to do it. I was preaching one time and I couldn't do it, you know. So, anyway. But um, these are the kind of things that that people – Young adults, and I include my age group, young adults, I'd say 40 and younger, are really, really, really serious about this. They are searching for meaning. 
And when they're not finding that meaning in the church, they leave the church. They do not necessarily leave the faith. They lose. They leave the church. Now you probably wonder, wonder what I mean by meaning. What they're on a quest for meaning. Uh, they're on a quest to connect with Jesus that is relational and loving. That's on it. Had to take some water there. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to connect with that Jesus, that figure, that figure that they have been taught about. The one who is the good shepherd, the one who is loved, you know, like we say, God is love. They're trying to connect with that, and they're unable to do so within the constraints of the church because they don't see the love. They don't see it. You know, I had an incident in my church where two young ladies were doing some wonderful work uh, regarding Women's Day, and then uh, all of a sudden, one just stopped and stopped coming altogether. And I wondered why they stopped coming, and then I discovered a source of conflict that was so deep with to them, so so uh, hurtful to them. They figured it was just uh, it was best not to come at all. They didn't tell me. They didn't speak to the pastor. They just stopped. And I when I when I finally spoke with them, I heard that, and I, I it hurt my heart to hear what they had experienced in my church where we say every week we say that every member is real, relational, encouraging, authentic, and loving. That's what we say every week. This is a place where every member is relational, encouraging, authentic, and loving. And then they hear that somebody, a number of members were not there, really hurt me. And I couldn't understand. As a pastor, I said, wait, I was thinking to myself, I said, what, what am I... What am I missing? Why is this not soaking in? Why is it that some people, even after hearing the things that I teach, and after saying what we say week after week, why has this not soaked in? Why has this not become a part of who they are as a body of Christ, as New Bethel Church? Why has it not become a part of who they are? And then it dawned on me. Said they used to the institution. They want to maintain status quo in the institution. They want to make sure things stay like they're supposed to stay in the institution. And you'd be surprised how many times I wonder why I am still a part of the institutionalized church. Because most of what we do as an institutional church is wrong, it's unbiblical unscriptural and we know it yet we continue doing it week after week sermon after sermon service after service and people are really getting tired of it because once you you know you can only get to a certain level in that before you you know before you just you know you flatline or you peak and once you peak what happens you either decline or you incorporate something else that can build you higher. But most times we just peek and leave it at that. I hate I I you know let me let me deal with the shift for a moment. I go back to the shift. What we're seeing in the black church 
and it's it's also reflected now in the black uh, gospel music industry. Black gospel music is trying to shift from the traditional choir style to a more uh, timbered praise and worship style. You hear artists like Tamala Mann and others come out with these uh, revamped Christian, contemporary Christian songs, uh, praise and worship songs. And, and people are new to it's new to the black church because they don't hear it. You know, Tim LeMann was singing, I can only imagine, uh, no, better yet, Donna McClurkin. I, I use Donna McClurkin. When Donna McClurkin came out with We Fall Down, when We Get Up, everybody went crazy. That that song went, I mean, it, it went out. It ran up the top charts. Ran up the charts. But he borrowed the song from another Christian artist. And while, you know, most black folk thought he wrote the song and thought he it was brand new, but it had actually been out. Same thing with uh, Tamala Man. Uh, um, not Take Me to the King, but the uh, uh, this other one. Uh, I Can Only Imagine. Uh, you know, that song had been out for, for years. And Tamala Man introduced it to the black gospel artists, you know, black gospel, and now it's popular. So we're seeing that shift. In the in the mid to late 80s, we were seeing a shift in the black church where preachers were moving from the hooping to the pastor-teacher movement, where they were trying, like, where you had teachers like Fred Price, uh, now Creflo Dollar, he came up in this time, um, Ivy Hilliard, and many, many others. Um, what's the guy up in Chicago? Uh, gosh, I can't think of his name. But you had those guys who were shifting from the high residence, uh, emotional pathos preaching to a more laid back teaching style where they were, you know, they could just, they seemed down to earth and were trying to break down. The, the their sermon you know message their sermons would be broken down in series and you had six sermons for one series you know and people ate that up and then we're seeing now a shift more back toward the hooping style with persons like Jake's um, who else um, so many others I can name the hooping style uh, those kind of shifts are creating the paradigms that we are seeing in the black church where people are like, okay, make up your mind. What do you want to be? What are we going to be? What kind of church are we as a black church? Are we are are we a mainline Protestant evangelical church? Or are we a charismatic evangelical church? Or are we a non-denominational free-thinking church? And by the way, you know, there are a lot of preachers who are trying to bring free-thinking, free-thinking churches. Uh, What's her name in Chicago? Just passed away recently. She had her church that was a New Thought church, and you have the former bishop Carlton Pearson, who has, you know, he was paid uh, as a heretic because he shifted his thoughts regarding hell. And you know, he was uh, Carlton Pearson was he was the leader of the charismatic black charismatic movement. He was the face of it. He studied on the 
Oral Roberts. He sang with Oral Roberts. He he was evangelist. He when he started higher dimensions church in Tulsa, had up to five to eight thousand members. And lost it all in just a snap of a finger, it was all gone. He was shunned. And he shifted now to become inclusive, free thinking. And to his credit, uh, although his, his ministry is not as prominent as it once was, you can tell, and I watch him on YouTube, I follow his videos, you can tell he's a little more liberated in what he's able to teach and how he's able to promote it. And, and you see, that this is a the underground shift for pastors who are trying to be able to think for themselves, yet do not want to leave the constraints of the institutional church. I'm one of them. And I'm trying to teach my people, you know, you got to be able to think for yourself. Uh, scripture is illuminating. It's revelatory. And by that, that means that you should be able to hear the revel fresh revelations. Now, that doesn't mean uh, it's, the content is always going to be something deep and something, you know, all oh, so overtly spiritual, but no. The Word of God reveals itself. It creates a knowledge that is engaging and transforming. And that's why I say that in my introduction. Because as I engage the Word, the Word engages me and empowers me and it transforms me. And that reflects over, that carries over to my preaching, my, my teaching. Because if I'm not seeing life change, not just outwardly, but also inwardly, then I'm not doing my job as a pastor. And, you know, we have some pastors who do not take their job seriously because they do not take their job seriously. They go on and on accumulating material wealth and hurting a lot of people in the process. Uh, not all, but quite a few do that. And because quite a few do that, what we find is people inside the church who are hurting, who are desperate for something. They don't know what that something is. And because they don't know what that something is, they end up turning to something other than the church. They end up turning to people like Steve Harvey, Oprah Winfrey, and I, I say that, uh, Tyler Perry, I say that because these people, uh, you know, they're, they're out there. They have no, all they got to do is throw in a few religious, you know, you know, cliches, black, black church cliches to make it sound like they're still, you know, part of the black church. When in reality, they're not. They're completely disconnected from the black church. They only reconnect when they need to. You know, Tyler Perry is one of those. Uh, one of those, and I say this publicly, and I'm not speaking ill of Mr. Perry. I applaud what he has done, what he is doing, and how he is helping uh, some people, uh, and he's giving back. But at the same time, the, the disconnect is between what he promotes and what is actualized. And you know, you know, you can. It's easy to just get up on television and quote a couple of scriptures and uh, I'll give you an example. Last year uh was last year, year before last, Tyler Perry called himself laying hands on T D Jakes and and T D Jakes receiving this and, and I'm thinking T D Jakes, 
Why do you need Tyler Perry to prophesy to you, lay hands on you, and you fall out and all that stuff? What that that's out of order, right? It is out of order. Because you're supposed to be a dial with spiritual power, you you know, it should be the other way around. Well, anyway, I digress. I got off on that ramp. My point my point is is that uh we as as blacks we are really need to, we really need to re examine our religious experience, our spiritual expression. Do we need to do we need to uh forge a new path? Should we explore? And I, I think we should. I I think we should not be afraid of exploring different paths. You don't need to get out of the church to explore different paths. I mean, contemplative Christianity, one of the ancient disciplines of one of the disciplines of the ancient church, is one of the things that has kept me centered. Centered prayer, um, doing labyrinth walking. I enjoy things like that because it helps one, it helps connect me with the divine. That helps me be centered as an individual in my soul and in my spirit so I'm not just off and wandering and, you know, all kinds of, you know, just craziness. But I believe it's it's really necessary for us to do that. Church ain't for everybody. But that doesn't mean God is not for everybody. And a lot of people are not going to like some of the things I'm saying. It's not for you to like, you know. All, All I'm saying is this. You need to be prepared to question. You need not be ashamed to question. If something your pastor says doesn't sit right with you, question. I encourage my members to do so. I don't want my members just taking me at my word, and I'm fallible. And people must remember, preachers are fallible. They are not inerrant. We are not. Without error, we're not capable of, we're not incapable of getting it wrong. 90 seconds. And I think that's more thing, that's the thing we need to promote more often, that as we got to be more transparent about that. We need to, as pastors, we need to be more transparent about our own spiritual development. Where are we? How are we? What are we questioning? What are we wrestling with? In regards to our faith, how are we seeing scripture transform us aside from producing a sermon? And I think when we do stuff like that, when we really get engaged in that, we will see the kind of transformation in the black church that the black church saw that caused the revolution, that caused the civil rights movement, that caused all the things that we're experiencing today. So that's just my take on it. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, it's been a wonderful experience for me, and we'll come back. I, uh, I probably write something about this on my blog, LorenzoTNeal.com. Go there and check it out. I'll try to update it as much as I can. Uh, next week we'll be talking about again, uh, since it's Black History, we're going to be talking about some other stuff. But the Mister Martyrdom is what we're basically going to be talking about: uh, getting our minds right as Black folk, and not falling for the foolishness of the media. But that's it. Need to hear not there. But uh, <laughs> I'm glad that you tune in. I'm thankful, thankful for you. So, again, want you to tune in next week as we come back and we'll be ready. Uh, I hope you'll be ready. I'm ready 
for another Zero Today. This is Pastor Wendell Neal. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Till next week.